God, it's so cool that that story just materialized out of thin air and no one wrote it. Welcome back to Who the Hell is This For? This week we are talking about the new Netflix original, The Devil All the Time, based on a book by the si- book of the same name, uh, who the author actually makes a voice appearance in the movie, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit more in the future. And by the future, I mean just later in this episode. Before we get into what we've been watching and the meat of our episode with today's review, once again, I want to remind you that the... We are in a period of change and upheaval within our uh, country. Make sure that you are donating to trans organizations, black organizations. Um, in Kansas City, we will continue to have links for um, Transform KC and One Struggle KC, or find your local bail fund, Black Lives Matter organization, or local trans organization in your area. Um, money makes the world go round, so put that money into a meaningful cause. With that, what have you guys been up to the past couple weeks? And it could be a little longer. Who knows at this point? We've been on a bit of a weird recording schedule between technical issues, life, and just surviving in a pandemic. How you how you been? <laughs> what an intro. Uh, yeah, we've been doing good. We have been taking advantage of being inside all the time by um, starting spooky season. I'm trying to remember. It's It's October 1st. Um, I'm trying to remember if we have recorded since we started Spooky Season. Sarah and I started basically in September um, watching scary movies and going through a list. So I'm not going to like talk about them all, but I'll run through this list really quick of stuff we've started watching. So we have seen Oculus, A Nightmare on, T- on Elm Street, Scream 1, 2, 3, and 4, Insidious, As Above, So Below, Annabelle Comes Home, Conjuring 1 and 2, Misery, Purge, Election Year, Doctor Sleep, Sinister, The Invitation, and The Lodge. Um, oh, last we also watched, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and then today we watched Halloween. Um, you guys so, have some bangers in there. Yeah. Um, yeah you, most, really, you really got all like the heavy hitters out of the way. I'm curious to see what your October is going to be. <laughs> a lot of, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if we rewatch a lot of stuff in October. I feel like a lot of that was new to me. I had only seen of that list... I had only seen Scream, Insidious, and Misery. All the rest of those were new to me. Um, it's like we hadn't seen any of the Conjuring universe. We hadn't seen any of the Scream sequels. Um, and what's crazy is I have a really hard time picking which one was my favorite of all of those. Um, of all the sequels or all of the movies in general? Of all the movies I just said. So, like, The Conjuring is a, a classic. Um, people really like The Conjuring. I think the one I had that I liked the most was the lodge. Um, All right. Which I don't know. I, I don't know if I can articulate why I don't know that I necessarily think it did something like crazy different. Um, I just really dug it. Um, and I don't want to give anything away about why I like it. So just give it a shot. Let me know what you think. I know not everybody loved it, but I think it'd be interested to see. I actually think it pairs really well as a double feature with the devil all the time. So, Gotcha. All right. Also, I did. What were your thoughts on Doctor Sleep? We didn't finish it. Out of just, no interest. Just, I just got, I just got bored. That's so, which version did you watch? The not the director's cut. Okay, watch the director's cut because I, I don't, I, I don't know if I seen can. the original. Well, okay, so uh, you know, like The Shining isn't my favorite movie. 
Right. But I tried the director's cut of Doctor Sleep, and I loved it. I thought it was absolutely incredible. I don't know. Maybe maybe the fact that there's stuff in there that either explains things more or they cut stuff out. Like, the director's cut, I assume, is longer. I thought that was the problem with the original cut of Doctor Sleep is it's really long and just not very much happens. Um, I don't think it's spoiling anything. It's essentially, they're essentially like soul vampires. They're just like sucking yeah. smoke out of kids' mouths and stuff. And you're just like, I don't, I don't know. Like it does. Harry Potter? <laughs> it's basically <laughs> Dementors. It the does. Dementors. I do retrospectively, and I think I get where you're going with this tie. It does retrospectively make me like and think about the shining different which i think some people really don't like because they're like the shining is its own thing like it doesn't need to be explained like part of the fun Mm -hmm. thing is that you're just kind of speculating about stuff um so i don't know maybe and i don't know how doctor's Mm -hmm. ends so like maybe the end is like awesome but like i only got about three-fourths the way through before we're just like i just i'm just bored did did you make it to where they go back to the overlook oh no oh man okay I might it, have to finish it at least to get through there. And try try the director's cut. Um, I've I've seen a couple clips of stuff they cut from the whole soul vampire part of it. They cut a lot of stupid stuff with them, and so it just kind of streamlines it, um, okay. while it adds a lot more to the general atmosphere of the world. Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. All right, Riley. What about you? Um. Not a lot since our last episode. Um, trying to run down, I think it was just two. Uh, watched Green Room and Enter the Dragon were my two since we last recorded. Um, I loved Green Room. That was, was that awesome. your first time? Yeah, I had not seen it. Oh, baby. Uh, wow, what a movie. Um, was a big fan of the gore. Um, yeah. Watched, just like Jeff, watched Halloween Tonight to start off October. Um I have started a, I believe I shared it on Twitter as well, but a spooky season playlist, one movie each night. Uh, Halloween was tonight. Tomorrow night is Night of the Living Dead. Nice. Now, are you using the um, that challenge format I sent you with specific not. Uh, genres? We, what I did was I took um, Screenland's Shocktober playlist. Ooh, yeah, and then that's tweaked right. It, then tweaked it a little for my own. Um, let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, I will just run through like the first, I guess, week or so. Uh, so it started with Halloween. Uh, then we're going Night of the Living Dead, Prince of Darkness, Pumpkinhead, yeah. um, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Uh, let's see here. 13 Ghosts, House. Uh, <laughs> Wait, okay. okay. And they live. Which house? Is it house uh, or house? No, uh, 1977, just house. Is it the Japanese one? I would assume so. Because, um, boy, see. are you going to have a good time with that one. Yeah, it's definitely the Japanese one, looking oh at the cast. Oh, my God, yes. I can't wait to hear what you think of that one. Okay, so that'll be, let's see, today's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It'll be next Wednesday. All right. We'll be watching House. 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 But yeah, Tyler, nice. what about you? So I, I've i packed a couple movies in, um, but I also have just mostly spent most of September doing anime. I finished Evangelion, and I watched the end of Evangelion, and boy, was that just, that put me in a state. It's don't, so. 
Don't tell me what happens because I've been. St- I started it. You started it? Yeah. Oh my god! Yes. Oh, Joe's about to become an anime guy. <laughs> oh my god! It's finally happening. It's here. Um, it's it takes the kaiju giant mech style anime, and it starts out pretty straightforward with it, and then it gets so existential and so weird. And that's all I'm going to say to you, Jeff. I probably couldn't describe what happens to you. <laughs> like, it's. It becomes very high concept and very existential, and it just left me in such a mental state the rest of the day after I finished it that I was just, I was not mentally well after that. Oh, awesome. Great. (laughs) And, like, it's good, but it's so depressing, man. It's, I mean, I'm on, I just finished episode four, I think. You're going to get about halfway through before it starts to really get weird. And there's there's what two seasons? On uh, just Netflix? one, just one. There's only one. Wow. Yeah, twenty six episodes on Netflix. Okay, okay, gotcha. But yeah, uh, really, really fantastic. Uh, but then I've also started uh, watching Hunter x Hunter, which really, really impressed me. I was really hesitant to start it because it just didn't seem like my style of anime, but I had heard a lot of good things, and then finally decide to check it out and it is awesome oh i love this this anime so i'm i am gonna take a break from it for october just so i can pack in uh all these movies because i'm also going to be doing a uh 31 days of horror i am using nightmare on film streets uh challenge which is a uh it has specific subjects for each day and tonight Catherine and i watch hocus pocus before we recorded um, or before, yeah, before we all got together to record. So my run through is going to be Hocus Pocus, Shaun of the Dead, Creep Show, Monster House, Class of 1984, The Black Coat's Daughter, Boom Stroker's Dracula, Nosferatu the Vampire, Practical Magic, The Conjuring, Ghostbusters, Arachnophobia, Night of the Living Dead, The Blair Witch Project, Pumpkinhead, Prince of Darkness, Suspiria, Scream, Scream 2, Life Force, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Alien from Dusk Till Dawn, Trick or Treat, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Halloween 3, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, The Ring, American Werewolf in London, and then, of course, Halloween on Halloween. I can't wait. a solid list. Did you say Boom Stoker? Uh, Boom Stroker, his proper name. Okay. That's what I thought you said. Stroking those boomers. (laughs) Okay, boomer. Yeah, a meme that's very relevant still. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's go ahead and start moving into The Devil All the Time. The Devil All the Time was directed by Antonio Campos based on a novel by Donald Ray Pollock. So this movie, The Devil All the Time, is uh, set in 50s, 60s Appalachia, and it's basically a critique of religion police people in authority who use their authority uh corruptly and then kind of the effects that has on other people who are trying to survive in those settings it's very interwoven with several different stories so that's the most succinct way of uh (laughs) of describing it there's also a lot to say about trauma there's there's a lot going on but not to give much away I really dug it, and I can't wait for us to talk about it. We, I guess I should wrap up a couple other things. 
Oh my God, my brain shut off. Okay. Uh, so this has a 65% on the tomato meter, 81% audience score. And for some rotten reviews, we've got best to bury this devil in an unmarked grave from Barry Hertz. <laughs> then uh, Jose Maria Oreste, unpleasant. This movie would not have any repercussions if it weren't for the fact that its cast includes Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson. That doesn't really make sense to me. <laughs> the story is a sadistic killjoy. Ellipses. Cold and often boring. Ellipses. Oh, from Sean Edwards of Fox 4, Kansas City. <laughs> I think that's a great... Oh, man, we've got another Kansas City one. Russ Simmons at KKFI. It's unrelentingly ugly and violent, filled with loathsome characters. Kind of the point. Anyway, let's talk about what we liked about this movie. <laughs> so I think you have it highest rated of the three of us, so you start us off. I do. Okay, so for me and writ large, the most important thing, or I mean important, but just the best thing this movie does is how it broaches the subject of religion and religion used as a tool to control people. It uh, Robert Pattinson rolls into town as just an absolutely slimy, vile dude who uh, just gets this entire town, his whole congregation, like begging for his approval, as shown by a scene where he absolutely rips one of the dishes at the church potluck and then makes a big show of how great he is for eating all of it. And that, like, that tells you everything you need to know about his character before it really dives into it. Just... Like, as somebody who I have a whole lot of thoughts about just organized religion in general, this movie highlighted, well, exaggerated in some cases. Obviously, in other cases, it's very, very real. Uh, But there's there's so much in here that just shows the issues with somebody who can use something that is supposed to be fulfilling and helpful for people and turn it into something for personal gain, um as well as uh, sexual and financial manipulation of those around them. So I just, I thought it was just really poignant and really resonated. Definitely. I think the film is um, really well shot. Um, I thought that the, there's pretty good cinematography. There's lots of like really stark moments um, especially like outside, like a lot of this film takes place outside. Um, and so I thought that that was, it, it really builds this idea of, yeah, they're in Appalachia, but so much of these characters' lives is impacted by the environment around them. You know what I mean? And so like, I did think it built the world pretty well. Um, I thought that it used its environment pretty well. I thought the performances were all great. Like this is, this movie exists to be, a vehicle for acting, right? And I think that mm. I don't know ex- exactly how to classify movies like that, where like that's the point. You mm. know what I mean? Um, they're they're not quite Oscar bait, but I mean it's a little Oscar bait. Like I wouldn't be surprised if this has some nominations for somebody. I don't know who exactly, but it's the kind of movie I that could gets see considered. Tom Holland getting a nod for this. Yeah, he would. Do you think he'd get? I mean, he would get lead, right? Yeah. So I think that would be. I think that's what would be tough for him. I yeah. think being going for best lead act you know best actor i think that's going to be tough i think if you if he did that performance in a supporting role i think definitely would get a nomination but yeah I, right. i'm doubtful for best lead actor 
Right. And there's kind of too many supporting actors for any one specific person to get too much credit. You know what I mean? Robert Pattinson is in our minds, probably the second biggest person in this movie, but I actually mm. don't think he gets an, quite enough screen time to necessarily be considered the second biggest part of the movie. Oh, so, for sure. so I think that's kind of where this movie is both great. And we'll talk about the next segment. It gets a little muddy. Um, but like, I mean, you could name off there's, <clears throat> let's just name off this cast real quick. Yeah, You've I've got, got that pulled up if you want me to <clears throat> run through that. I've got it too. you got Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, Riley Keough, Jason Clark, Sebastian Stan, Haley Bennett, uh, Harry Melling, who I don't, I feel like I've seen him in like one or two other things, but he's Dursley from Harry Potter. He was um, in, um, I looked it up, he was in uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. That's he was it. in the, in the yeah. uh, bit with Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like Eliza Scanlon, uh, Mia Wasowska played Helen, Robert Pattinson. I mean, just like a huge, huge, huge list of players, right? And every single one of them, when they get on screen, just eats it up. You know what I mean? Every single one of them is chewing scenery. They're all doing a great job. Um, but like this movie is, I don't know. I, I'll save those, my, some of those thoughts for the, the next segment. But it is both a great thing about this movie because you love to see all these people just going for it. And then you it truly is also, love to see it. <laughs> it is also muddy because there's so many of them, you know, going right. for it as well. Yeah, I, I feel like that. Yeah, it's really kind of a double-edged sword because one thing I one thing I liked about this movie is, and I like it whenever a movie does this, is when it takes multiple storylines and they all end up inter intertwining and connecting at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that works and doesn't work in this movie because it kind of convolutes things. Um, but for me, I really liked, I liked each story individually and then them all being tied together. I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did too. I really like when a movie, it, it just makes the world feel so much more alive. And that's something why that's something I really like in once upon a time in Hollywood. It's a very, very similar. And I think you could go so far as to say, that this feels like a Tarantino movie without feeling like somebody trying to make a Tarantino movie. I think it very much is its own thing, but it has a lot of similar hallmarks of just the way it's created. I think, I think once upon a time in Hollywood is actually a great comp for it. And when you think about it in those terms, I think your praise of this movie and, and why you like it makes a lot of sense. Cause you did love once upon a time in Hollywood and yes. And you, you know, it seems like you really love a movie that builds a world and lets you live in it and lets you see all the characters in it and, and creates that. And I think that is something that this does do very well, right? It is mm-hmm. creating a community. You know exactly who everybody is. Well, you know who they are because of how they are. They are all given time to do so. Mm-hmm. I don't know there's, know that all of them are as developed as they could be, but all of them live in this world. And so if your whole thing is like, I just want to be transported, I want to go somewhere else and see a crew of people live in this world, this is a, a great vehicle for that. Yeah, and this happened with both Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and this movie. I went into both movies with low expectations because of things I had heard, because I know Jeff told me to lower my expectations a little bit, and I had heard that from many reviewers going into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So when I get both that with low expectations and hit with just a very deep living, breathing world, 
that is just prime for a movie experience that I'm going to absolutely love. Yep, totally agree. Riley, um, do you have anything else that you really liked about this movie? No, I mean, I think we pretty much hit everything. Um, I, don't, I, I don't have much else. Ty, do you want to talk about any of the performances before I, we that's, move on to the And next that's piece? what I wanted to get into. I yeah. So, two, everyone's performance is good. Um, Thick Boy Sebastian Stan is good. Uh, but really, I think the two standouts... I also want to shout out Bill Skarsgård. I thought he was great. Uh, but the two real standouts in this movie are Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson, especially the way their characters are uh, depicted against each other as this, it's this movie is what I wanted. Uh, there will be blood to be. And I like this, this whole just almost war between Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson. And half the time, Robert Pattinson doesn't even know it's going on until it's way too late. And he's just, Pattinson is so skeezy, but he feels real. Like, he doesn't feel like a mustache-twirling cartoon villain. You can totally imagine some guy taking over a role at a church and just completely abusing it and not having the slightest care and making himself out to be this hero, this martyr, um, a victim in some cases, and just being an absolute, like, slimeball. And then Tom Holland is a dude who has been raised with just a really deep code from uh, from everything he saw with his dad. Uh, we we kind of t- glossed over everything that Tom Holland's character went through as a kid, um, but I don't want to give too much away. If you're watching the listening Heavy to this podcast, childhood, <laughs> yeah, just bad time to be a kid. <laughs> uh I they're twenty five. They're twenty five minutes into this podcast. I think we can probably do spoilers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, uh, we we really didn't do the uh, disclaimer beforehand, and mostly I was using that as a reason not to have to just dive into the whole plot of the movie because it's such a dense plot, and it's going to take 15 minutes to get through that first segment and just describing that. Uh, but real real bad time to be a kid for Tom Holland. And it echoes throughout the rest of his life uh, to the point that when uh, his, when his cousin slash sister just very close family to him the only person he really has in his life that he can call family um when she is taken advantage of and then driven to suicide by the pastor that that becomes his only mission and it just it's a guy with like literally nothing to lose at that point and just his drive to make it happen incredible i'm so glad we got something like this from tom holland so he's not just typecast as uh disney's next big thing the lengths a boy will go to bury his dog (laughs) yeah you'd think somebody would have taken it down during all that time it's just hanging out i don't know if i came across like a cross in the forest with a dog skeleton by it i'd probably like "Mm, i'm gonna leave yeah i think i would just turn around okay yeah that's a good i shouldn't be here (laughs) I, I've seen enough movies that I'm not going to go just wander around in the Appalachian Mountains. <laughs> yeah, like, I know how the, the the next hour and 30 minutes will go for my this, life. This is not my neck of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> nope, cursed, 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 cursed. That's why I've never gone to a K-State game in Morgantown. 
Dog skeletons everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> There's a mountain people in the West Virginia stadium. Oh my god. Halftime show is just Robert Pattinson eating food. <laughs> All right. You have anything else do you want to praise about this movie? I liked Pattinson's accent. I'm gonna go I did too. Yeah. I'm gonna go to bat for it. It wasn't near as cartoonish as people made it out to be. I agree. And with also that. it when it does get like quote unquote ridiculous, it's it's for a reason. He only slips into that when he's um preaching sermonizing. Yeah. Um that's what you call it. Speaking think, the word. I don't think you call it sermonizing. <laughs> There's a word though. There's a word that sounds like sermonizing. Are you thinking soliloquy? No, it's specifically related to like a homily. Synchronizing. Are you, you're not talking about preaching? Proselyzing. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. It kind of works. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, convert it's or attempt to convert someone from one religion, belief, or opinion to another. That's basically what he's doing. Proselytize, yes. I would say preaching is probably the best <laughs> word for it. <laughs> I'm sticking with sermonizing. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. I think it works. I, I, I do think the accent is, is fine. Um, I'm a huge fan, I think as we all are, of let Robert Pattinson cook. Yes. Let him be weird. Um, let him do voices, put him in more movies where he has to do ridiculous stuff. Um, and I will watch every single one of them. Absolutely. Yes. All right. So fingers crossed he keeps the same accent for Batman. (laughs) Yes, please. It's a high class. Ah, and vengeance. (laughs) (laughs) Alfred, would you get the Batmobile out of the Batcave, please? I don't know though. I don't know though if if Robert Pattinson keeps that accent, I'm gonna ha- and we get a Robin. I'm gonna really question that relationship. Oh yeah, <laughs> Robin, my dear. <laughs> now won't you come over here and <laughs> clean out my back cake? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, let's talk about some stuff this movie could have done differently. Um, I've got some thoughts. So I think I have a contrasting opinion to Ty about how well this movie comes together in the end. Um, my whole thing with this movie is I, I really like the stories it has in it. My problem is it has one too many stories. And what I mean by that is that there's, there's specific threads that this follows, right? So there's the thread of you see the dad, the dad meets the mom, the dad could have been with this other girl and so then there's a choice and it branches off and something happens uh the dad the mom gets cancer the dad kills the dog then the kid is then forever like off with his aunt because his parents are dead and then he meets you know his stepsister or not really his stepsister but his adopted sister basically and that's all a branch off of their parents not getting together so like this whole thing is it, it is tied together but it it doesn't necessarily like 
I don't know. There's no, there's not a ton of specific traits that are then like called back to. I will say like Arvin and his dad, like that gets called back to, mm-hmm. but it's not like Eliza Scanlon's character, uh, Lenora. It's not like she has necessarily calls back to like her parents or anything like that. And then I think the biggest thing for me at the end is you've got uh, Riley Keough, who's Sandy, and Jason Clark, who's Carl, and they're like going through the countryside and like picking up hitchhikers and like taking pictures and then and then killing them. And, like, that is a very interesting storyline, right? But it's not really connected back to anything until they run into Arvin, and then Arvin kills them, and then Arvin goes back home, and then he has a run-in with the sheriff that he met at the beginning. Like, they're con- they're connected, but they're not... It's not tight, right? And, like, I think the thing about the final, quote-unquote, confrontation being between Arvin, who's the main character of the film, and the sheriff, who's, like, kind of off on this other storyline, is, like, that's not the most powerful story, and so for it to end on that story, it gives like weird, like that sheriff should have had way more emphasis throughout the story or like he should have like killed his dad. Yeah, there or, like, should have been some kind of more of a rivalry, rivalry foe See, yeah, I, between Holland and Stan. I disagree with that. I, I think the culmination we got was good because there there didn't have to be this rivalry between them. They're enemies by circumstance, and we, we've been shown all of those circumstances and the way everything comes together throughout this entire previous two hours. And I thought that was really interesting that just, you know, he's, he's resorting to trying to kill Tom Holland, and there is all this depth and history there that they really aren't that aware of. So it's, it's just two guys in the woods, but really there's so, so much more to this whole encounter. See, but I think that's... So I, I totally get why you like it and that it doesn't necessarily follow that traditional pattern of a story where, like, there's, like, three or four key elements. And that, again, I think speaks to, like, this movie is really more of, like, an... an it's not an anthology because they're connected, right? But it's it's just a separate... It's a bunch of different separate story vignettes that are woven well, together right. to create a story. You know what? I would recommend, while it's very different and not necessarily the same, give Southbound a watch. It's a horror anthology on Amazon Prime that does a very unique thing with its frame narrative and the way it's structured. And while it's less connected than this is, it does something very similar. Uh, So I think Southbound is worth a watch because I think it just does something so interesting with a... uh, uh, anthology that's separate but connected very similar to kind of what we see here trick or treat is also a good example of that yeah and I think maybe that's the whole the whole thing for me is like if if you disconnected it even slightly more and this was an anthology and then they had like carrying pieces between it I think I would maybe even like it more or like this could be a great like mini series on HBO yeah. or something like that I just feel like trying to say it's this tight movie or trying to say it's an anthology, like I kind of wish it would have picked a direction. And instead you've kind of got a combination of both where like, like honestly, give me like, give me the Carl and Sandy killing people. They pick up a hitchhiker. He accidentally kills them. The sheriff has to kill that guy. Like that chunk of the story is great. Give me the Arvin with the organized religion where he, at the end of the movie kills the preacher who like, you know what I mean? Her sister. Like, that's a great story. I just don't think those two work together. And I think if you would have done either one of them, 
one, the movie doesn't have to be two and a half hours long, right? Like you could have made a real tight hour and 45 or two hour movie with either one of those plots. And I think they would have been awesome. And I don't necessarily dislike this movie. I'll give you a spoiler. This movie is still like a seven on my scale, maybe a six and a half on Letterboxd. I gave it three and a half. So like, I still liked this movie, but like for me to get to like a four or like a five, like there are things you could have done where this movie could have blown stuff out of the water. And this could have been like a premier top story with a little bit of tightness. And it's so interesting because for me, I think the the looseness and the way it approaches its world is exactly why I like it so much. Yeah, I think had I it done with the, Tyler on that one. Had it done the things you said, I think I'd be where you are and you'd be where I am right now. I think we just like a different type of movie, which is totally That's fine. That's fair. Uh, how did you guys feel about the narration? Who was it? That was, it was Billy the Bob author. Th- oh, no, I could have sworn that- it was Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, <laughs> another guy with three names, Donald Ray Pollock. Or Ray Donald Pollock. One of those. Like the fish? Yes. Uh, I, I didn't mind it. Um, it took me out at first, um, and it still kind of felt out of place, but as I kept really writing with this movie, it ended up working for me a lot more. I'm a basic movie bitch, I think. Like, I love narration. I know, like, I'm not supposed to like it because it's, like, cheating. Fuck it. Narrate every movie. I don't well, care. I mean, like, also, I, you know what I mean? Being a book, I think you can really get away with the narration. Yeah, it definitely... It, what I think made it work was it made it feel like a book come to life. Mm-hmm. You know what? This actually... This feels... And kind of on the same note... This feels to me like what Tarantino wanted to do with Hateful Eight, and it just didn't quite get there. Whereas for me, this really worked with this whole like book narrative and the way everything is so interwoven and just this weird living world that they've created. Like the Grinch. Yeah. I'm back into <laughs> what I like about this movie. Should we I, move I, on? No, I also, I think, I, I mean, I think the narration, though, like, I almost wonder if because of the setting, like, if you do, like, Western or you do, like, Southern Appalachia, like, does narration feel different because it's a little bit folksy? I think so. It, it you know makes what I mean? this yeah, feel definitely. like a folk tale. Like, if you do, like, narration in New York, you're like, this is Sex in the City. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, <laughs> there's nothing, like, unique about this. But, like, it, I feel like there's something folksy about the fact that of its setting and the, the accent of the narrator was a little bit folksy as well. So I think they, yeah. they worked together a little bit. The uh, the narrator's accent very much gave me a Shawshank Redemption vibe. Right. Yeah. Riley, did you have anything else about this movie that you weren't a fan of? Not really, no. So I want to I wanna touch on this. It's something I liked, and I want to bring it up here just because I forgot earlier. But I think it also works as what this movie doesn't do as well for a wider audience um, because Catherine tapped out on this movie even before things really got kind of gnarly or weird or hard to watch. Um, But Catherine tapped out in the car scene just where Pattinson and Lenora were talking. And like he didn't even reach the depths that it go, that it goes. Um, But even then Catherine tapped out, but there's a lot in this movie that is hard, either hard to watch, too depressing, or just super gnarly. Uh, like 
when we've got one of the victims with his hog blown off and they show that very in in detail Mm -hmm. um and which i thought was cool it was a good effect and it worked really well um to add some weight to it but there's a lot in this movie that it's just it's hard for a wide audience to watch and especially as a netflix original it is a heavy movie yeah Uh, you kind of get to the end of the movie you're just like oh that was a lot to take in it's good but man it is i thought it was gonna end heavier from everything you said though I wasn't. Oh, no, expecting... I was more relating to the, not necessarily the end, just the movie mm-hmm. as a whole. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, and it, do, the whole thing is very depressing. I do also wonder sometimes, like, are the three of us the threshold for what is upsetting because we have watched so much horror? I think is different than a mainstream audience for sure. And I'm, I'm hope I'm not sounding like some film asshole saying no, that. no, no. But you know what I mean. Like, I, I think when we see. Uh, like the suicide scene or um, some of those other pieces, I do feel like I'm a little bit number to some of those things in film than like I used to be. Um, and so I, I do think that like this movie is still bleak and it is still um, mm-hmm. has those moments, but like, I think I'm able to like ride with it a little bit more. Just, I don't know. I, I don't know if that has any impact on the way you watch these movies or not. It's definitely way I think more. It does. It's way more extreme than like your classic drama, especially for like an Oscar bait drama, right? Like this is, this is wavering into territory that like Oscars wouldn't consider based on some of its subject matter. Shall we go ahead and move on to our uh, standout and letdown scenes? Let's do it. I've got a standout. Do we have the same one? We may. Is yours the potluck scene? Oh no, mine is not. Mine is the potluck scene. So the reason I like this scene is one, I think it's the first time that we're actually introduced to Robert Pattinson, right? And his role as the preacher. So like coming into this movie, like him and Tom Holland being a part of it are a big draw, right? Like big names. We've seen Pattinson act really well and lots of other stuff. So you're kind of like, all right, let's let him be weird. I've heard about his accident. Let's go. And the fact that the very first thing they have him do is be so fucking slimy and shitty about the the aunt's food is amazing like just such a good choice to introduce them that way and especially because they they did a pretty good scene just before that where they were talking about like what they're gonna be able to cook and like oh i want to get steaks but like i don't know if we can afford it so like he'll be fine he's the preacher he's gonna love it you cook good food you know what i mean like the whole thing that that scene before and then the execution of that scene is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, the butcher shop scene is really phenomenal as well. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I also want to note, has any actor ever looked more like a butcher than the kid playing the butcher in this movie? <laughs> Typecast. Yeah. Butcher yeah I, I think that, that guy's that... actually just a real butcher. <laughs> like, Hey, you want to be in a movie? <laughs> That whole scene works so well. Like, the whole potluck scene, exactly for the reasons you're describing, because it it sets him up to be such this sleazy, evil character without doing anything that's outright immoral, just shitty. But then it, it speaks to his position so much more. Yeah. I also just love the scene because, like, that's, that's the scene that cements this world for me, is the church potluck. Like, 
I have this thing about church potlucks, which is that, um, so I grew up like going to a very small like country church, like before we, we moved on and went to a different church. So the very first church I went to was this really small church out in the middle of the country. So right outside our little small town, both Tyler and Riley know it. Um, and there's this thing about church potlucks where the more conservative and like devout the church is, the more fire the potlucks are. Like it's just there's it's an unfair like piece that, that definitely exists with these. And so it's kind of like um I also went like when we moved churches, like the potlucks weren't the same. Like the old church had like <laughs> had like three three full like rows. So it's like six full tables of just like mains and sides. So it's like fried chicken and deviled eggs and like a million fucking casseroles where it's just like all cheese on the top and you're like, I don't know what's down there. I'm gonna find out. <laughs> I'm gonna go for it. And then there's like a whole dessert section and there's like a table that's just pies. Like it's <laughs> it's just so there's like thirty pies and you're like it's the same thing with the casseroles. You're like, I don't know what's down there. I'm gonna find out. And if you were smart, you had two plates when you went through the first time because by the time everybody goes through for first, there may not be stuff left. So if like if you see it and you want a little bit of it, you have to get some. But I think the biggest thing is like when we changed churches and we went to the other pot, like people were bringing stuff and it was in Wichita and people were bringing shit like CC's pizza to the potluck. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Like I just kind of phoned it in. Like if you, I'm not really sure these people are like about that God life. If they're not bringing <laughs> the food to the potluck, like I'm not going to assume their heavenly destination, but like, <laughs> I don't know. There may be a relationship. That's all I'm saying. And the same uh, perspective on work potlucks, by the way. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I also think we should note like that, that church that had the fire potluck, because I went out there a few times with you. Um, very sim, basically a modern version of the church in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, not, not to the extreme, but it's like, it's the next step up from that church. I feel. Well, like. it's it's that without the sleazy preacher. Yeah, right. Yeah. It had had they gotten like an above board preacher, that's what it is. Yeah. You know, after they got rid of that Norris guy, everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's some inside baseball for everybody. Yeah, very. Um, <laughs> what was uh, what was your standout scene? Uh, so mine was the another another Pattinson scene, but it's that uh, Tom Holland monologue. Um, yeah, the the showdown basically. God, it's so good. Yeah, so unbelievably good uh, because Tom Holland, as he like comes to confess and then starts running through the preacher's crimes and as the preacher picks up on what's going on and like starts begging for his life and Tom Holland fires on him. That whole monologue is just, it's so tense and it's so well delivered. I love that scene. Oh, definitely. Uh, just the amount of tension that's built while he's delivering it. And you know, you know what's going to happen. You're just like on the edge of your seat waiting for this to reach its climax. Yeah. What about letdowns? For me personally, I think there should have been a better connection between the sheriff and Arvin in order to make the last scene work. I st- the scene itself, I thought was executed great. It was very tense. You know what I mean? You could sense the sheriff didn't really want to kill him because he just knew him as this kid, but then he also killed his sister. So like, I thought it was constructed well, but I, I just felt because it's the end of the movie... 
I wish there would have been more preceding that to make me feel differently about that scene. Uh, it's hard for me to pick a letdown. And I so I'm going to have to go with a scene that I actually really, really like, but I don't know if it's super necessary. I don't know if we need Dudley's uh, monologue early in the movie um, when he rolls into town as the singing preacher. I think it was very good, and I love that scene. And so, like, I the movie is better for having that scene in it. Mm-hmm. But if if I had to pick something to cut from this movie, that's probably it. Okay. I don't know. At the same time, like, yeah, I I could see why they why it's in there and it needs to be in there because it's his passion for God that drew Helen to him and got mm-hmm. our story rolling there. Um, I'm gonna say my letdown. Um, Maybe not a specific scene, but the, I guess the, the angle of the movie that has the, like the mob, like having their power over, uh, the sheriff. I feel like we don't get enough of them being menacing. Like we're just like, yeah, they're in his pocket, but we don't really see like the consequence of like, if he goes against them or anything like that, like, I don't know. They just didn't seem to have that much power. That See, I don't know. I feel like it was all a, a show of power would have been good, but I like that it was all dialogue from them and that it all came back to them talking about their influence in the upcoming election for sheriff. Right. And that that's where their power lies, that they can take away his entire role and status in the upcoming election. Should have just come in more Pepsi cups. (laughs) Oh my God. I totally forgot about that scene. I did too. Just a random hand job scene. What the fuck? (laughs) And at that moment when I was like, is that Sebastian Stan? (laughs) Oh my God. The Winter Soldier just... Well, he can't, he can't use his mechanical arm. <laughs> just mashing it. <laughs> God, maybe that seed. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I might, I might jump to that scene as my... Uh, if I have it's to cut anything, necessary. probably. Yeah. It's not. It, uh, it made me it think of the scene in Super Troopers. With the speedometer? Yeah. with the speed gun (laughs) all right you know we really haven't talked about harry melling's performance we haven't and we should have i i don't know what's so much else to talk about i guess we could talk about that with uh um oh fuck what's the name of our segment gleason gleason yeah yeah. which is our next segment so let's go ahead and our domino gleason award jeff and i and riley yeah sure yeah, all of us. We give us more of a uh, Dudley, Dudley Dursley. Well, it's clear he's got chops, right? Oh, yeah. Like it's it's clear he can act. And I think for anybody who is in a major franchise, whether it's MCU, Harry Potter, Twilight, I had I had zero idea he was in Harry Potter until you guys said that. Like I I thought his character's name was Dudley, whatever. <laughs> of course, I'm a guy that's watched through Harry Potter like one and a half times, so. Oh, wow. About every uh, two or three months, we basically run through all of them again. So, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. I had no idea it was the little chubby kid. That's where Catherine is. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I, I God, it's so cool that that story just materialized out of thin air and no one wrote it. <laughs> it's actually a co- uh, co-op written. <laughs> our it's our novels. <laughs> the people's novels. <laughs> um, one thing with his character that I wish kind of would have been drawn out more because I thought it fit really well in this movie was his, and I think we kind of touched on this earlier, um, him kind of blindly following his faith, which led to him killing the mom. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. Oh, Helen. Killing Mm -hmm. Helen and then realizing, kind of coming, well, pun intended, a coming to Jesus moment when he learns it's kind of all <laughs> when it's all you know kind of made up and not real and he's like oh fuck i just killed my wife yeah that was a we yeah we hadn't talked about that scene at all that was yeah, such God. an amazing that was such an amazing character and again it just goes to like just make the whole movie I about you people's misunderstandings of faith i think you liked it more than you thought no i'm just saying it just there's so many good things in this movie that if they would have just focused, this movie could have been. There's there's a lot of singular good movies in this movie by not yes. focusing. But, no, no, but all no, these but, good. But things. what I'm saying is that it works all together. Yeah. But I'm if just you did want Jeff's to make point. Yeah, but if you did want to make each movie or each story its own movie, it would work. Right. I, I mean, I get that. I mean, give me like a million spin-offs of this movie, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, that would also be super rad. Let's go ahead and move into our draft for tonight, and then we'll finish up with ratings. So right. tonight's draft was planned before we actually watched it, and we went with movies with bad accents, even though this movie ended up having a pretty good accent. So, oh, let's get our random number generator ready to go. And... This is our way of saying, if you like this movie, you'll like these other movies because they have accents. Why not? Give do me we, a number. What's are, we pick, are we picking from a list? Uh, no. Just doing our own thing. I, have, just no, doing our own I thing. have no idea what movies have bad accents, so I'm desperately looking things up. Riley likes all accents in every movie. Give me I don't a, know uh, enough about accents to know <laughs> if they're bad. <laughs> Give me a number between 1 and 20. 14. Three and a half. All right. And I will go four then. <laughs> You're such a dick. It's a two. <laughs> <laughs> so Riley, Jeff, me. Or no, Riley, me, Jeff. Sure. Um, I'm glad okay. I go ahead of Jeff because I can scope a couple picks from him. Um, well, I'm going to go with our last review. And I'm going to take... Uh, Nicholas Cage and Con Air. Go ahead and cross that off my draft board. <laughs> All right, so mine is one that I know Jeff is likely going to try and snag. So I'm going to go with John Malkovich in Rounders. Oh, uh, man. The that worst Russian list. accent I've ever heard. In my club, I will splash the pot whenever the fuck I pleases. <laughs> Just awful. Um, okay, so I just went with accents 
movies that I like that have strong accents. And not necessarily that they're all bad. This kind of fits. Um, Snatch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Brad Pitt. I don't know what he's doing in that movie. He's going for it. But whatever he's doing, he's going for it. That's for sure. All right. I'm going to go with a famously bad one. Um, not necessarily that I ever noticed that it was bad because it's been so long since I've seen this movie, but it's everywhere I look, and that's Don Cheadle's British accent in Ocean's <laughs> Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> I love what he's Bonnie doing, Rebel. but it's not good. Treble. Which I believe I've said on a previous podcast that I think it is a good accent and I like it, uh, but it's a shame we can't ever go back and check. <laughs> All right, so I'm torn between two here. And since it's been mentioned earlier or mentioned already, I'll I'll continue on this since I'm going to be watching it in a week or so. Uh Keanu Reeves and Boomstroker's Dracula. I haven't seen what what kind of accent is it? It's like gothic England, but it comes out uh like this. <laughs> Blue wolves in the inferno. <laughs> Just fucking... So, like, a surfer, like, his usual, yeah. like, surfer voice, but... Oh, my. Yeah. All right, Jeff. Um, I'm going to pick The Departed. Specifically, no! No! specifically Vera Farmiga's character. God! I was going to is... give it best ensemble performance for worst <laughs> accent. They're none, I mean, they're all, they're all Boston-ish. Um, none of them really nail it. Matt Damon's probably the closest because he's like actually from the area, right? Um, DiCaprio, I don't know what the fuck he's doing. Um, nah, but Vera man, I'm not is, a cat. Vera Farmiga is the worst one because she just flips in and out it's of awful. it. It's like, awful. In certain scenes, she's like straight, and out of the ones, she's like, like really holding the eyes. You know what I mean? You're he like, is my cad. Fuck, are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Like on certain, even the same sentence, she flips in and out of it. So. All right, Riley, your last one. Oh, I'm so glad I found this one because this is an accent I always, it's like eyebrow raising. I'm like, what is he doing? Oh, uh, no. And I never understood it. And it is John Voight in Anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, playing like this Spanish pirate yeah, guy. Paraguayan, yeah. Yeah. And it's just not even close. <laughs> Oh man, what a just banger of an accent. Okay, so mine, my last one, this was actually the one I was debating on picking last, so I'm glad I had it in the chamber. Uh, Very small part. He has quick entrance and explosive exit, but I'm going with Django Unchained, Quentin Tarantino's Australian accent. Fuck you. (laughs) God damn it. It's so bad. It's abysmal. (laughs) You know what? That's for taking The Departed from me. That would have been on the board for you if you hadn't. Oh, man. I got to think of my other one. Pick the movie, Shinji. It's, Get in the I don't robot. Wanna, I don't want to pick on Brad Pitt again, but Brad Pitt does another terrible accent in The Devil's Own. You guys ever seen that one? I haven't. Okay. It's it's just... It's, it's so over-the-top Irish. It's like kind of what he tried to do in Snatch. He also has a really bad one in Troy. So like Brad Pitt just doesn't do accents very well, unless it's like cartoony, like Inglorious Bastards, where he's like, mm. "I'm just trying to be a cartoon." Which Snatch is a little bit like that, 
but both Troy and Devil's Own, he's he's trying. So, uh, in the kind of in the same vein of a previously mentioned actor who has another bad accent, also with Devil in the title, Keanu Reeves in The Devil's Advocate, where he's doing his like high class lawyer voice, but it's just so weird. It's so strange. If you haven't seen that, just look up some clips from it. It's Al Pacino as the devil, and Keanu has sold his soul to him. It's a delight. It's on Netflix. <laughs> an honorable mention I want to do, but I'm not sure if it counts as an accent because I'm not entirely sure if this is his real voice or not. But it is, uh, I don't remember the actor's name, but Sean in Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Driftin'? What's Drift? All-time accent. All-time character. I'm pretty sure that's his real accent because it it's also on NCIS New Orleans. Okay, because I, I think he has the same accent in 42. Well, yeah. Man, he's got the perfect voice for his role in 42. Did you know he was a Disney kid? Yeah! He was in that movie where his grandma dies and he goes and buys a horse. <laughs> God. Okay, let's wrap up with uh, with ratings now that we've gotten into decom talk. All right, so I think, Ty, I'm just a little underneath you. I, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, it's one I don't know if I'll revisit because it's two and a half hours um, and just super heavy, and we're in October, so it might be a while, but I'm going to go with an eight on this one. All right. Yeah, I think I'm at a seven. Um, maybe a six and a half on this one. Okay. Yeah, and I, I'm i at a nine on this one. This one worked so well for me. I've got a four and a half on Letterboxd. It rules. It's exactly what I want out of a movie. So if it sounds like what you want out of a movie, or if just, you know, what we what we said is up your alley, or if you're just looking to be sad, Give it a watch. It's on Netflix. You got nothing better to do right now. Anyway, this has been another episode of Who the Hell is This For? Thank you for listening. 